Hi, hi, hello guys. I'm Ruby, and this is the Cab Ramblings, a paranormal episode. Yee! This week, as I've said in my hints like Last week, in the previous episode We're going to focus on different locations in one country Different like haunted locations with a lot of history from a country And this country would be Italy Italy would be the main focus for today, for this episode And it's mainly because I'm very curious on like different historical places and it doesn't seem like it's just enough to talk about like one place and so I ended up searching and researching facts about two places two places that very much intrigued me a lot and so I'm just going to share it to everyone and I hope that uh, you would allow me to accompany your ear holes <laughs> in the next, I don't know, hour and a half. Depends on how long this episode would be. And so now, with enough rambling, and since there's no housekeeping to, to deal with, let's just go straight into it. So the first place in Italy is Villa de Vecchi. Villa de Vecchi is also known as Casa Rosa because of its red color and... I don't know if I have, I have written it down, but it's the building is red because of the stones that were used in building it. Is it red sandstone? It's like a certain type of like stone that was used in making this mansion, this villa, villa. And so it's red. It was originally re originally red, and it is a 19th century home located in Cortenova just east of Lake Como. So this property, it was commissioned by someone called Count Felix de Vecchi. And it, he is apparently a very decorated man. Like, he is head of the Italian National Guard. And he is considered a patriotic hero because he played a big role in the Five Days of Milan. And I haven't really dug into what the five days of Milan is but apparently it's a revolution that happened in 1848 and it led to Milan's liberation from Austria so he is a well-decorated well-educated man and he also loved traveling he traveled around India Egypt and the Middle East during his younger times and he ended up publishing a book that got sold very well this book contained a lot of his drawings of his entire experiences throughout his travels. So in 1844, Count Felix married Carolina Francetti di Ponte. And after that, both of them embarked on a journey. And apparently they treated this as like a honeymoon, traveling around. The tour took both of them to all the regions of Italy. 
And during the trip, Count Felix continued to paint and even write about his adventures. So by the time they, the newlyweds, arrived back in Milan, the Count had become a celebrity. Not because of his being a patriotic hero status, but because of his drawings, his representations of the places he had visited. And so now that his honeymoon is basically over, traveling was over, he's back in Milan, he started looking for a place to build a villa, a summer villa for himself and his family. So he, see, he sees the Valsasina Valley near Lake Como, and he was happy with this place. He wanted his villa to be on this place. So he ordered the construction of the villa between 1854 and 1857 to serve as, as his summer residence. So the villa is located within a 130,000 square meter park and it's all surrounded by woods. It's all surrounded by woods. Its architecture was inspired by uh, different, this, 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 different designs from Eastern culture because the Count really loved Eastern culture designs while he was traveling and he ended up choosing a blend of Baroque and classical Eastern styles and he contacted a friend um, and an architect, Alessandro Sidoli. So while the villa was being made, the walls and ceilings were decorated with detailed art and there's a larger-than-life fireplace over the main parlor where a grand piano stood. There is extensive gardens and promenades and an, e an equally impressive staff house was built. There's also a lot of innovations and at that time it was very modern and these are like heating tubes within the walls so like we don't have it here in the philippines because it's always hot basically and we need air conditioner that makes things cold instead of keeping things warm and hot uh but isn't this like not insulation heating heating panels in a house it's kind of like that and there's also serving hatches to bring food like dumb waiters to these are hatches used to bring food from the kitchen to the upper floors and the fountain that they have was able to shoot water into the air using the pressure from the slope of the mountain. Unfortunately though, the architect, Sidoli, never got to see the home completed because he died in the midst of the construction of the property. He actually died a year before it was completed and many people later would think of this as like a ill omen. It's not a good sign for the place. Nevertheless, the Count and his family made this villa their home during the spring and summer months. And by a lot of accounts, they led a pretty peaceful life. Though legend has it that sometime in 1862, the Count returned home to find his wife brutally murdered. Some sources claim that her face was even disfigured and his daughter was missing. Seeing this, he was heartbroken but he was motivated to go and search for his daughter and so he did but after a long and unsuccessful search so he didn't manage to find his daughter at all he ended up taking his own life in the home unfortunately so there's a lot of intriguing theories about this and what had happened there are theories about a home invasion there's another theory of this is a revenge revenge against the count 
and there's an there's even an unlikely theory that the daughter is the suspect and she was the one to kill her own mother but also this legend is very dreadful it's re- really really sad you think that he lived a life like very peaceful in a way though he was of course dealing with wars and all that he's a war hero he's like a rebellion like he participated in that five days of milan stuff and of course i'm pretty sure he knows like his own f- military stuff it's it's not like completely completely peaceful and idyllic but it did sound like that and this is like a super sad ending to it but there's also some alternative accounts that says that all of this this legend isn't true at all and that in the early 1860s when the count is already a widow so it says like i think i've read that his wife died from natural causes and in this alternative account that's what had happened to his wife and so the count was left as a widow he fell ill with a chronic liver disorder and he spent the last months of his life going between milan and cortinova to paint and care for his children so these alternative accounts claim that he died in milan at the age of 46 from liver failure leaving his estate to his children and his brother biagio but there are accounts that says that his children did not take the place and so it was just left to his brother and when his brother got the villa he made some major renovations on the property he unfortunately for me it's unfortunate because he removed the eastern influence in the place which include removing the dome and biago and his descendants would continue to own the property up until 1938 but from then on it was left abandoned for around the next 20 or so years so while the villa was still owned by the defeci family in the 1920s there's another legend that has taken place and made it even more infamous and this is uh the legend that says that the in- an infamous occultist alistair crowley and i don't know if i'm going to take him up as a topic in an episode or so but if i see a lot of stuff and information surrounding him and i think that he could be a good topic for a full ramble i might pick it up but the infamous occultist Alistair Crowley was said to have spent time in this villa. So it is said that Crowley was dedicated to mysterious and occult practices. And these practices include uh, summoning of evil spirits and some bloody rituals of initiation. So the legend says that Crowley stayed in the villa in the first post-war period and that he dedicated himself to the profession of magical arts while he was in the villa there's also a legend that crowley and his followers one night in the villa had summoned the devil himself and that this devil had taken possession of one of his followers and then the following day some people found all the participants of this ritual slaughtered without an explanation whether this is real or not i'm not sure but it's quite a legend there's other rumors that claim that when this happened blood gushed it gushed from the fountain that was once in the park unfortunately nowadays this fountain no longer exists 
and some people who visits this place some of them claim to have captured some strange uh effects in the picture like it doesn't look proper you know when the picture is glitching or some like different stuff is appearing in the picture but not like ghostly but just some weird strange effects appear in the pictures that they take so let's go back to crowley for a second but because there's a legend that he stayed there in the villa his fans because he has fans began to flock around the home because they want to go there too and do some uh the articles say ritualistic orgies and animal sacrifices uh just like the legend about the count's wife and daughter there's also alternative accounts that says that while crowley did spend time in italy he went to the abbey of thelema in sicily it is not known if he did spend time here at the villa in casarosa however it is said that the house was when the house was abandoned it was never never became habitable again for a consistent amount of time even as a vacation home although some several aristocratic families tried to make their place at their place and tried to like stay there as their own like vacation homes each left shortly after spending time on it some say that this is because the ghosts of felix and his family is there and like they don't want other people to be living in their villa some say that the very ground of the villa is cursed and others say that something about the house just seems to drive people mad insane crazy just i don't know possession kind of thing so in 1959 after the property had been left abandoned for around two decades the estate was bought by the medici of marignano however there were no renovations that were done so the property fell into the hands of local entrepreneurs and sadly this makes me really sad because i saw a a video about uh of course a video surrounding this place and you could see that it was once a very very beautiful place and in its prime it's probably like breathtaking or just a place that you would want to look around explore just see and you know be fascinated and just be enthralled with but in nowadays if you see like videos or pictures uh of it it doesn't look good at all there's like it's now like rotting the property has been robbed of the furniture it has been vandalized there's graffiti the floorboards are like broken the woods are rotting there's like small signs that there was once very pretty art on the ceilings but now the paint is fading and it's just so so sad because beauty of it it's gone now and it's sad <laughs> anyway so now because it has been remained empty for decades and people just cannot seem to stay there for long periods of time this has led to the property becoming known as the ghost mansion or the casa del estrege am i saying this right i'm i don't know how to speak italian the only italian that i'm like <laughs> very like encountered a lot is when i'm playing assassin's creed <laughs> no assassin's creed 2 in italy anyway so i'm really as you can see i'm really really not well versed in italian so i'm gonna butcher a lot of italian words 
in this episode. So the ghost mansion or the Casa del Estregue, which is the house of witches. I assume this is because of Aleister Crowley and his followers. So while the natural uh, natural elements is taking the house back, the majority of the house's irreversible damage has been done by humans. The walls are covered with graffiti and these graffiti can be anti-Semitic. Some of them are pornographic, some of them are satanic, and it's just so sad. So in recent years, the Italian Environment Fund has created some public awareness campaigns for the villa. So the owners are willing to give up the property for free as long as the property is restored. But because the house house's cost of renovations are around 6 million euros, nobody really took it up. Especially because it's near a mountain and the superior intendancy for cultural heritage has stated that the mountain near of it near it is a medium to high risk making it unlikely that any restoration will take place on the property in the near future and the medium to high risk is basically avalanches of boulders landslides but there's in 2002 large boulders came falling down the mountain during an avalanche but it did not take the villa at all. The uh, buildings surrounding the villa were destroyed, damaged, but the large boulders that came rolling down the mountain stopped a few meters short of the villa, thus it was spared. The locals there weren't sure if this is a good thing or not, but it was spared. So it is said that during the nights of the summer and winter solstice, you could hear a female voice, a lamentation, so I guess a female voice that's distressed and sad. And this is most likely the voice of Felix's wife, which makes me sad because if she's there and she's stuck there, that's sad. She's just there being sad and that makes me sad. So also the grand piano, you know, the one that I said is near this big fireplace. It is one, it is said to be playing at night by some kind of ghost because nobody stays there anymore and also because this grand piano isn't uh, operational because it has been smashed to pieces which makes me sad because I love instruments though yes yeah, so the grand piano has been smashed to pieces but you could still hear the music from around the house somebody playing the piano and that's about it for the Villa de Vecchi, but I searched around Lake Como because I've seen a few articles with Lake Como in it. So I searched around, uh, I searched Lake Como just for fun, like, you know, for fun facts. And I've seen like a few places that I'm not going to delve deep in because if I do, this episode would probably be eight hours long. So just an overview on some different places some different like haunted or just pretty much a macabre spot <laughs> for people who are interested around Lake Como and there's quite a f quite a few or a lot depends on how you see it so the first one is the Castello Castello di Viet Castello di Vezio ghosts so the Castello di Castello di Vezio in Varena hosts a lot of history and this history has a lot of superstition so apparently this place about 
uh, around 600 AD, the castle became the place for became the home of Queen Theodolinda, and she is the most famous Langobardian queen. So legend tells that this place was one of her last dwellings. She died in Monza, so not in the castle, but her heart and soul remained in the castle's walls. So I guess she treats this as her home or she has gone through a lot of bad things in this place. I don't know. So in the moonless nights, so new moon, <laughs> her spirits, the people said that her spirit wanders around the corridors. And apparently, she's been seen in some specific spots. And in these specific spots, there are now some phantoms made of paper mache placed there. So that's very interesting. So fun fact, the models for the paper mache ghosts have been some tourists. That's so cool. Imagine going there and visiting the place and suddenly you're the model of a paper mache for a phantom and you're just there like your paper mache model is there like that is so cool <laughs> anyway next place is villa pliniana so the place of this villa the history is a pretty bloody one so the first owner the aristocrat giovanni Angrisola, had the duke of piacenza which is Pier Luigi farnese brutally murdered in 1547 so after that, he decided to build the villa, Villa Pliniana, to use this as ref refuge and hide from the Duke's possible like Avengers. So here, in this place where he is supposed to hide and make himself feel safe, however, he could see Farnes's ghosts. So apparently every night, the ghosts showed up at the door to the lake and he screams and it's close to the scream that he released before his death so the nightmare haunted the count for a long long time until one night when the ghost appeared he got so sick of it i guess or he got mad or something and he decided anguisola decided that he's going to capture the ghost so this would all end but the ghost slipped into the dark abyss of the lake's waters and Anguissola followed it. So people think that he died there in the lake, but his corpse never resurfaced. So he might just still be there <laughs> or somewhere else. Also, this villa is famous for one of the most talked about love stories ever, I guess, in Italy. And this is the one between Anne Berthier and Emilio from Belgiojoso. So they both left their families to live together, so they eloped. For almost eight years, they lived in total isolation at Villa Pliniana. And this is a big scandal because in those years, people think that this is like their choice of devoting themselves to pleasure. Because I think this is the time where like if you're aristocrats, you go and have arranged marriages or something. People, marriages back then aren't as free as the marriages right now. So this is like a scandal. Be and also it's even more of a scandal because apparently Anne left her newborn child in France as she eloped which girl no at least take your child with you woman so apparently in the evening at midnight the lovers Anne and Emilio would wrap themselves while they're naked together in a sheet and they would dive from the top of the 
villa or logia whatever that is into the lake like wow what is that that's a hobby <laughs> that's a hobby so as a result the villagers would see their ghosts doing this and they were frightened so the daily repetition of this confirmed their belief that the ghosts just wrap themselves in sheets all naked and then jump into the lake together so if you're curious on how their love story ended it was not a happy ending because Anne abandoned Emilio one day she just left because apparently she was missing her life that is not in isolation after so many years of isolation she got sick of it and so she just left him she abandoned him so another place near Lake Como is Lagita and this is the story of a brave girl and her rapist so the protagonist of this story is a young and beautiful girl named Gita one evening she was returning to Moltracho from Tenobio and she was attacked by a smuggler so she tried to fight she did everything to free herself until she arrived on the edge of a cliff so in order to not to be raped she threw herself into the ravine together with her rapist but she did not die she did not she was sa she was saved because she clung to a rock while the rapist nobody knows what happened to him it was like assumed that he died in the fall so today locals say that on moonless nights in this place a flame can be glimpsed along the mountain and people say that this is the soul of the rapist and he still roams around in the area so in 1946 after a medium's prediction it seems that Gita's phantom so Gita's ghost appeared near the water for more than 10 minutes so I don't know why she's still there probably she's like keeping watch making sure that the soul of the of the uh, potential rapist did not, does not come out of the mountains I don't know but she's apparently her ghost is still there so another place is Castello Baradello in Castello Baradello which is built in 1158 by Frederick I aka Barbarossa this was used as a torture room for everyone who was accused of witchcraft and also in 1233 there is a struggle between people you know war and all of that so there was a struggle between two opposite groups and in 1277 in the bat in a battle where one of them were defeated the napotoriani was hung in a cage at the baratello here he committed suicide after 19 months in 1278 where you think that <laughs> this is like a very painful way of committing suicide he smashed his head against the bars like ouch that would hurt a lot there's also a gray woman in Retsuniko so in Retsuniko there is a, it is an old and charming medieval hamlet there is a story of the gray woman because she usually wears a gray shawl on her shoulders she would be seen on the staircase leading to a cellar late in the evening during the night in the daytime, she does not appear and no one knows where she hides. There's also uh, different places where witches would be executed, which is very sad. 
and the Diocese of Como had the highest number of fires of witches during the Inquisition of Lombardy. They killed around 300 in 1416. So the Dominican monk Bernardo Rategno, he lived in Como, condemned more than 40 women to death, to the executions, you know, burning the witches in a stick, were burned alive after they passed through torture and the inquisition of the court, which is always biased and not really fair at all for them. And this took place in the convent of San Giovanni Pedemonte. And nowadays, the San Giovanni station stands there. So the villages of Tomo, Lezeno, Ravenna, and Mezegra were apparently full of women charged with relations to the devil. And in Mezegra, specifically in Bonzanigo, there's a special lawn, a lawn, and they call this Pra de la Taca, which is translated to Lawn of the Footprint, because this is a hill where it's said that witches from Lizeno used to meet for their mysterious rituals. So I know it's a lot. There's two more near the Lake Como. Second to the last is the Devil's House in Belano. So in Orido di Belano, there's the Devil's House. Its name is linked to some of the mythological figures on one of the building's facade, which I think is one of the building's walls or places, I don't know. There's a mythological figure there, and this figure is a large Mephistophelian figure with small horns and a pitchfork, in addition to a fish-tailed goat. How does that work? So it's a goat. It's a proper goat. But the tail isn't a goat's tail, but it's a fish tail. So is the goat an amphibian? Can it live out of water? You know what? I'm not going to ask these questions. <laughs> so in Belano, this building has always been feared because there's a lot of rumors that said that inside it hosts satanic rituals. So the last one is the Devil's Bridge in Lezeno. It is built between 1903 and 1917. And this, the name of the bridge is due to the fact that it overlooks a terrible gorge. That's why it's a Devil's Bridge. And the work that was needed to build it were very dangerous because the cliff below was almost totally inaccessible. So a legend says that the construction was repeatedly interrupted and the, and the engineer responsible for the construction was getting like mad, crazy, like insane. Like, why could, why is this bridge not being built? Why does it keep getting interrupted? So one night, the devil appeared in front of him and the devil promised to help him build the bridge in exchange for the soul of the first one who crossed the bridge. The engineer agreed that when all the work was finished, he decided to cheat the devil by... This makes me mad. <laughs> this makes me mad. Because the way he chose to cheat the devil is by throwing a bone on the, la on the bridge. And so a bone ran along the bridge to get the bone. And so the dog crossed the bridge and disappeared. And instead of like... I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. It makes me mad. Don't use animals. I'm... Aww. It makes me sad. I have two very adorable, lovely dogs, and they're like my children. <laughs> and so the thought of somebody like sacrificing animals makes me really, really sad. 
and mad at the same time. <laughs> and so, that's it for the many, many places near the Lake Como. That if you want to visit them, I don't know if you can visit it, visit some of them. But if you do, and if you visit them, contact me <laughs> and send me pictures. I'm very curious. So now the let's jump into the second major topic in this haunted Italy episode, and this one would probably take a lot of time as well, probably like more than half of. The length of time in this episode because there's a lot of history behind this and it's it's very interesting fascinating because i love like i love the history behind the places that i'm covering and this uh second main topic is the Bovelia island i searched how to say this and i've heard some people call it the Poveglia island and I heard Povelia Island, so I searched how Italian people pronounce this word, and it's Povelia. So I'm going to use Povelia <laughs> for its pronunciation. And so Povelia Island is a 17-acre island, and this was fought over by the Venetians and the Genovese in the 14th century. And up till now, it still shows traces of being fortified. <clears throat> There's like octagons, which are the forts for it. So Povelia Island consists of two parts divided by a canal that has a single bridge over it. So Povelia was originally called Popilia after the Latin word populus or poplar in English because a lot of trees, a lot of those trees, the populus trees or poplar trees, used to cover the whole island. Another theory as to why it's called Povelia is that it was named in honor of ancient Roman consul Publius Popilio Lenate in 2nd century BC. It became famous for the construction of a major highway through a local area known today as Via Popilia. So as I've said, there's still like fortifications around the island and they call it an octagon. And it is situated in the south part of the island and this was created about the same time as a line of fortifications by the venetians there's also a couple of like small islands with octagons in them and it served as the base for artillery bat batteries against intrusions from the sea so there are articles saying that the prisoners that were taken ashore were burned one history book said that this quote-unquote almost became a habit so the prisoners were taken ashore and burned and there's a rumor that destroyed french ships still decorate the bottom of the lagoon around the octagon so at the end of the conflict Ovelia was completely devastated and the inhabitants originally around several hundred were now reduced to a few tens so after that uh battle Povelia Island remained uninhabited until the 15th century when several stockyards and warehouses were constructed there. And this is when the dark history of the island really began. Uh, oh no, the, the dark history of the island really began during the Roman era because it was used to isolate plague victims from the general population. Centuries later, when the Black Death came about, the plague came about it served that purpose again so 
newly arrived ships, the sailors and the cargo had to wait for several days in the island in a sort of quarantine. And a, a hospital was constructed there. They called these hospital hospitals for, I think, quarantine hospitals, the Lazaretto. And this is used to house people in a quarantine to make sure they did not bring the plague with them. There's a marble plaque found on the west coast and it says Nefodias vita functi contagio requescunt. You know what? I'm not even going to continue saying that phrase. I'm just going to say the translation and the translation of that phrase in the marble plaque is no digging. Disturb the dead by contagion in life. Rest, 1793. So the dead from the plague were dumped into large pits. And they were either buried or burned. So as the plague became worse, the population began to panic. And when someone showed even the slightest sign that they were sick, they were taken to Povelia with, with or without their consent. So, as we all know, in the medieval world, people don't really understand diseases and medicines quite well. They don't even know that the illnesses, the illnesses comes from bacteria. They all think that it's because of the bad smell in the air, you know, the miasma. And that's why the plague doctors have those beaks with herbs and like good smelling things in them because they think that by doing that and by wearing that mask, people won't be able to smell the bad odor around and so they won't get infected by the diseases. So they don't know what bacteria are. And because Venice, Italy, has a lot of like ports, it's a trading center, people would go a lot in that place. Like so many different people go there to trade, to like sell stuff, to buy stuff and all that. And so the plague was very much there and so people were panicked and they made the strictest sanitary laws anywhere and even though i have said they don't know how germs and infections work they knew that by isolating the sick travelers it was kind of an effective way to prevent or lessen the severity of the plague outbreaks so it was actually venice that coined the term quarantine it is derived from the duration the travelers were required to stay at a, at a lazaretto before they could be issued a clean bill of health and they could continue on their way. And this is from the word quarantine, it's from the phrase quaranta giorni, which is 40 days. So the quarantine back then for the Black Plague is 40 days. So people think back then that if you go to Povelia, if you are brought to Povelia, it's basically a death sentence. But first, before it became like seriously bad, it's it more it felt more like a purgatory. It was boring because you just have to stay in, indoors and wait the whole 40 days. And hopefully you survive and not get sick. So it was boring, but it was not necessarily unpleasant. Uh, most of the people had their own room, sometimes kind of like a little apartment. They were fed well, they drank together, and they could send and receive mail. Though the outgoing letters were kind of like their own way of sanitation. And it's according to an 1831 inmate of Povelia's Lazaretto. They, the outgoing letters were, quote, stabbed, sprinkled with vinegar, and fumigated. 
before leaving the island. So that's their way of sanitizing their letters. So there's a place called Plague Field. And it is named after the mass burials of plague victims from the three waves of the plague. And it's kind of like a common location for ghost visions. So the first uh, wave of the plague is in 1348. And it claimed the lives of a lot of people of the city as well as much of Europe. Another wave came in 1570. And the last came in 1630. And this killed over 55,000 residents in Ven Venice, Italy alone. So that's a lot of people. <clears throat> so when the uh, plague became so much worse... Uh, the bodies, the dead bodies, were left on the Povelia Island streets to decompose. Then they were burnt and their ashes were thrown in mass graves. <clears throat> so many victims were burned in the northern part of the island and this is where the plague field is. And many local fishermen ended up avoiding the Povelia Island because they think that a layer of ash from human remains can still be carried around by the winds. And uh, I'll... Uh, mention this later but Ovelia became like an agricultural place in the future after the plague and all that stuff that would happen it became like they tried to make it like an agricultural place and they planted grapevines and grapevines do well in ashy soil uh, because there's a rumor it has been said that more than 50% of the island soil right now is composed of human ash and that rumor was even more strengthened by the fact that grapevines are able to flourish there really well. So judging by the remains of some well-preserved skeletons though, it is like uh, shown that burning was not the only way to, di to dispose of the body in those times when plague was in a very bad situation. Many corpses were simply tossed into deep pits probably to do the mass death rate. There is also strong suspicion that some people that were still alive but very, very sick, you know, that they were like kind of like on the verge of dying because they were so sick, but they were still alive. They were just simply thrown into these holes as well. Or at least that is what some of the locals claim. So many people also claim that by uh, going near these plague pits, you can hear moans, cries, and coughs of the plague victims who still roam the island. Others, other visitors reported that there's the smell of sulfur and burning wood. So, there are surely grave pits in Povelia, but they were not dug up. There's like, I think, two more islands that have been used, like Povelia Island was used as quarantine and stuff. And that's where they managed to dig up, like, plague pits. But in Povelia, they haven't tried doing that, but it's... People are quite sure that there would be some of those. Their locations are unmarked and unknown, so by standing there on the island, you don't really know if what you're standing on is a plague pit or not. So local lore holds the, that the part of the island traditionally used for growing food held most of the bodies. <clears throat> so in a, another lazaretto, it's in Lazaretto Vecchio. Some work crews were digging the foundation, so the foundation for a new museum, and they came across one of the plague pits, and it is filled with the remains of more than 1,500 plague victims. So this is like uh, not a Povelia fact, but it was interesting for me. So once the grave pit was found, archaeologists immediately set to work, 
they examined the find the skeletons and they discovered something interesting a vampire yep and it's not like a vampire nowadays that you know of fangs and all that stuff it's the vampire of the medi medieval times it is someone a skeleton who uh someone who was thought to be a vampire back in the 16th century and they know that the people thought of this person as a vampire because there was a brick between the teeth of the skeleton and this is what people back then believe they should do to starve a vampire to death because if they have a brick between their teeth they wouldn't be able to drink blood and it's also known in historical people as a shroud eater because during epidemics mass graves were often reopened so they could bury fresh corpses and some of the diggers would see the older bodies that are there so they're decomposing and these older bodies were bloated and blood is seeping out of the mouth and there's this hole in the shroud because they cover the corpse's face so there's a hole in the shroud and it kind of looks like the corpse was eating the shroud so there's uh this i think he's a historian or an author that describes these uh historical lore behind the vampires and he said burini his name is burini he said quote these characteristics are all tied to the decomposition of bodies but they saw a fat dead person full of blood and with a hole in the shroud so they would say this guy is alive he's drinking blood and eating his shroud end quote so by knowing modern forensic science we know that bloating is caused by decomposition the building up of gases inside the body and the fluid coming out from the mouth is because the fluid is pushed up by the organs that are decomposing the shroud because it has a hole is because there's bacteria found in the mouth area of the decomposing body and the bacteria is the ones who are actually consuming and eating the shroud at the time however because they don't know about this the medieval people don't know about this people think that these are shroud eaters and that the vampires eat fed on the cloth and the vampires cast a spell that would spread the plague in order to increase vampires so basically that's how they thought vampires propagate and so they put bricks in the mouth of the corpses so their estimates around the number of people that have died in the island and at first glance it would sound like are you serious is that such a lot of people but there are a, i have seen a lot of websites there are books written by a number of people that have researched a lot about the history of the island and the estimates are around hundreds of thousands it's mainly because in the plague of 1576 alone venice had already lost 50,000 people and there were at least 22 more outbreaks of plague in the 200 years before that and there's a 14th century italian named giovanni boccaccio who described the condition back then in the plague and this is how he described it quote the condition of the people was pitiable to behold they were sickened by the thousands daily and died unattended and without help many died in the open street others dying in their houses made known by the stench of the rotting bodies consecrated churchyards did not suffice for the burial of the vast multitude of bodies 
which were heaped with the hundreds in vast trenches, like goods in a ship's hold and covered with a little earth. Unquote. So that's why people think it's like around 160,000, I think, hundreds of thousands of people have died in the island. So according to some historical uh, pieces about the island, in that period, the island also became a scene of execution of criminals and they were usually killed by drowning so even more people who have died in the island so as i have said local fishermen nowadays kind of like avoid the area around the islands because there is soil erosion over the course of centuries so many of the former graves were being washed away some people would find like bones in the fishes in the fish nets that they throw there so some of the locals stopped fishing there altogether i wouldn't blame them and i have read like some of them like throw a fish net and then they catch fishes and then they see bones and so instead of like uh getting the fishes and like leaving the bones they just allow the fishes to go free with the bones like i'm gonna take my loss but i'm not going to uh, disturb the bones further than they already did. So in 1805, Napoleon Bonaparte, the French emperor, ordered uh, the island as some kind of like place to hide his armory depot for the French troops. And despite the secrecy, the Austrians found about it. And so they repeatedly tried to take the Povele Island with sudden sneak attacks that were unsuccessful but of course people would still die there and he napoleon also ordered the destruction of the church of san vital which is like when you go there in the island you'd see like a tower with like a bell on it and it's like the tower the former bell tower of the church that was transformed into a lighthouse so the lazaretto was closed in 1840 1814 it was closed in 1814 but in 1922, the abandoned buildings were transformed to a new hospital. They were rebuilt and reconstructed to house, to house mentally ill patients, oh boy, here we go, who had to be isolated from the rest of society. I have read like a few articles that say that what's written in the official like documents is not, it's not like an asylum, but of a house for elderly, but as I have seen, it's been treat it's the place has been treated as an asylum instead of like a house for elderly people. And we all know how asylums were treated back then. So this is going to be really bad. So many of the people who were sent here nowadays, if we see them in our modern psychiatric standards, they wouldn't be considered fit for hospitalization, meaning they don't need to be hospitalized. They're just people who are depressed. Hi, I'm here. Who are homosexual, who have bipolar disorder, and many, many other stuff like they consider strange and mentally ill back then. They're brought into this hospital. Unfortunately, because there's isolation and secrecy in this hospital because they're basically in another island, the doctors use this as an opportunity to perform numerous horrific medical procedures on their on their patients huh. there's lobotomy that was performed but we all know how lobotomy works and it's not good so the patients of the hospital 
immediately began to report that they would see ghosts of plague victims on the island and that some of them wouldn't be able to sleep at night because they keep hearing the tortured wails of the spirits of the plague victims. Because the patients there were already considered mad and insane by the hospital staff, the complaints that they give were just ignored because, you know, why would they kind of like put attention to them, am I right? So to add to the anguish of the poor souls of the ghosts that are already there in the hospital, there's one doctor that decided that, hey, I'm gonna make a name for myself, I'm gonna cure whatever the heck it is that triggers insanity, I will cure insanity. And so he would perform lobotomies uh, on his patients using horrific tools like hand drills, chisels, hammers, and some of the quote-unquote special patients. He saved his most horrific experiments. He would bring these patients to the hospital's bell tower and apparently whatever he did in there to the patients some of the patients screams could be heard across the island because they were not being cured they were being tortured like what the heck is this insane doctor doing so according to the lore this doctor got his karma his very much deserved karma and because after many years of performing this these lobotomies these quote-unquote cures the doctor began to see the ghosts of the plague victims as well. And so this kind of like drived him insane and it led him to go to the bell tower where he, depending on what uh, account you read, in this bell tower he either jumped or he was thrown out of that bell tower and he fell to the grounds below. And depending on what account you read as well, there's some accounts that says that he died there one account says that the fall did not kill him, according to one of the nurses who witnessed him falling down. And the nurse says that he lay on the ground, writhing in pain, and there's suddenly a mist that came out of the ground and choked him to death. There's another account that says that the doctor was seized, still alive after falling by some of his lobotomized patients and these patients bricked him up in the wall of the bell tower. Other versions say that patients placed him in the tower after he was already dead. Either way, he died and honestly it was not as gruesome as I wanted to be but at least he died and got his karma. So the locals still say that up to this day, the doctor's spirit is still in the tower and will remain there forever in that on a quiet night if you're listening closely you can hear him ring the tower bell so in 1968 the hospital fortunately was completely abandoned and it fell in disrepair so the northern part of the Povelli island where they think the plague pits are was used for agricultural purposes and growth of vineyards but it was too soon left alone Another belief that surrounds the Povelli Island is that the ghosts there, some of them are violent. Several uh, tourists, visitors report being touched, pushed, slapped behind, slapped behind. For some reason, I can just imagine it like them getting slapped in their asses. <laughs> slapped behind, I don't know. And they were even choked by the spirits. 
So for a time, the Italian government owned the island but it was later sold to an owner. But the owner abandoned it in the 1960s and this owner was the last person to try and live there. So a family, the family, the owners that bought the island were thinking of building a holiday home on it. But they left the first night there and refused to comment on what happened. They did not want to elaborate, but there's only one fact that was like well known. And this fact is that their daughter's face was ripped open and required 14 stitches. And that's why they just left there on their first night. I don't know what happened. They did not want to talk about it, but that's what happened to them at their first night. So today, the Poveli Island is uninhabited and tourism in this island is strictly forbidden. Every now and then, the, the waves would uncover some charred human bones. But of course, even if the tourism is strictly forbidden, visitors would still be going there. You know, they would pay the boats, boats, what do you call it? boat drivers, I don't know, to bring them there. Some of them would like get the money and just boat the people over there. Some of these visitors report seeing shadows on the walls moving along with them as they explore the facility. And there are some spirits that are known to be there. The, the first one is Little Maria, and she is a spirit that has been seen on the island for over 400 years. She is most likely a young child from the plague, and she roams the beach while she cries. <sighs> and the art this article that I have read says that she cries in a heartbreaking way. So sad. So there are also some spirits from the time it was used as a psychiatric hospital. There's Pietro. A man with two amputated legs and he used to raise his wheelchair through the hospital. People claim that they can hear his phantom wheelchair racing up and down the corridors. So he's still having fun, <laughs> at least. Uh, then there's these two last like known ghosts that freak me out. There's Frederico and he just grins and laughs out loud the entire day. <laughs> and the spirit of a young female. I don't know her name, but she apparently has a terrifying expression on her face. People say she's scared of the mad doctor who still performs six, his sick experiments here. So the mad doctor is still there, darn it. And there is also a pair of huge eyes that has been seen just below the water surface. And some of the visitors also see faces behind the windows of the hospital. And there's a handful of psychics that went there to investigate the island and they claim that there is an energy there that can only be described as malignant and there are the presence of angry spirits lingering there and it was so frightening that most of them refused to ever return in the island <clears throat> so i've said there's like visitors who go there they're devils who dodge the police patrols so they could explore the island but apparently everyone or most of them who has made it there have refused to go back because of the heavy atmosphere and some of the screams and tortured moans that they could hear in the island and that made staying there unbearable. Some of the visitors get emotional when stepping on the island. They could feel deep dread and sorrow. Uh, and that makes me feel like the residue of like the dread, the despair, and the death in that place makes them feel it like in their 
spirit and so they feel the sorrow and the dread in there so apparently the hospital can be entered in several places but the easiest entrance is the scariest because you'd have to crawl through one of the cremators so there's one report from a thrill seeker who fled the island after entering the abandoned hospital because apparently a disembodied voice ordered them quote leave immediately and do not return end quote and they never did so venetians are deeply superstitious about the island and kind of they kind of see it as a purgatory for evil souls one local saying goes when an evil man dies he wakes up in povelia so the island is i have said currently close to visitors but of course uh there's a couple of different shows that went there to investigate and there's one american tv presenter who visited who visited the island and entered the abandoned hospital for the travel channel series and the ghost adventures also went there and claimed to have been briefly possessed by a ghost so in 2013 together with san giacomo in paludo povelia was put on sale to be recovered for tourism purposes and on march 2014 the state property agency enters the island into a list of assets where they could put it into an auction and uh, I think a businessman managed to win this auction but because his bid was lower than what was expected it did not like reach the standards of the amount of money that the auction wanted it was declined even if the businessman was the one who won it so the island wasn't bought so in April 2014, there's a non-profit association that was set up and it's Povelia for Everyone. And this non-profit association has the aim of participating in the call for auction so they could win the possession of Povelia Island for 99 years and to allow it for public use. And so that's the last of like what I know about Povelia in the modern days. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Like, you know, a place with a lot of history and kind of like the paranormal stuff is kind of like an added bonus. And of course, I have to talk about like paranormal places because this is a podcast about either true crime, paranormal or these weird phenomenons. And I like history, but I should, of course, still deliver the paranormal stories and not just talk about different places with a lot of history behind it. Though, if anybody is interested, I could release like couple of bonus episodes about like historical places just because i want to cover them i don't know i'd be willing to do that i really am so that's about it at the end of the povelia island and also the end of the episode itself i hope you guys have enjoyed it and if you have reached this far thank you so much for listening and so that's about it and so hint 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 for the next episode Oh no, that's going to be hard. I guess the hint would be a Japanese cult. So yep, guys, the next topic for the true crime will be a cult. And I am in the middle of researching different information about this cult. And oh my goodness, I think I bit into one huge apple. <laughs> I, I was, I'm very interested in it. My brain just decided that Yep, this is it. This is the right time to go and cover this cult. But then I searched it up and so many articles and so much information just came up. And 
my goodness i don't know how many hours of me just reading articles have passed by but there's still so much information and so i don't know if it's going to be a two-parter for the next episode or like one whole mega episode like a long episode with a lot of information in it but i hope you guys would look forward to it because it's going to be like one like information heavy <laughs> or just i don't know it might be overwhelming it might not be it depends on you it depends on how i manage to deliver it knowing me though i'm gonna ramble a lot so yep and so that's about it for this episode i hope you guys have enjoyed it and thank you so much for allowing me to keep you company while you're doing whatever it is that you're doing and so if you have any stories or any uh, topics that you want to recommend me on doing, you can contact me at bacabramblings at gmail.com. And if you don't want to use email and want to contact me through Instagram instead, I also have that at bacabramblings podcast. And I also have Twitter. It's macarambles, which you could contact me there as well. It's macarambles, M-A-C-A rambles. And that's about it. Always eat. Don't skip meals. Keep yourself hydrated. Get some rest. You need that rest. Get some sleep. And take care of yourselves well. That's about it. That's seriously the most important thing here. Take care of yourselves well. Stay safe, everybody. And always stay spooky. Bye-bye.